0: I got a two Bible sermon for you. This is good. <laughs> Rob called and said, hey, I'm going to Uganda. It's like, really? Do you plan these things? <laughs> um, "Can you fill in? It's like, no, I'm busy. Uh, I actually had to change my schedule. He twisted my arm. He said I could go topical. So I think he was negotiating. Okay. Um. Some people get all anxious about the shack. I don't. I, if they knew what my day job was, um, they would be rest assured. I am uh, the general editor of the Founder's Bible. If you don't know what this thing is, it's something that you absolutely need to get. I, I'm not giving myself a shameless plug, but um, this so fired up my son, he decided to shift gears, heard God call him into public service, and I dropped him off in Washington, D.C. about a month ago. And he is serving God, trying to contend And if I thought Hollywood was bad, my gosh, you know, Washington, D.C., the swamp, hello. Um, he, he is an undercover journalist doing uh, exposés on people that need to be exposed. It's awesome. Um, so pray for him. But you are going to You're going to be so excited leaving here today. The first service was, I'm going to tell you something out of our annals of history that is going to solve the NFL problem, okay? No, I'm serious. You need to go tell people. They need. They don't know this, and because they don't know this, we argue about all kinds of goofy stuff, okay? And there are real problems, but there are really awesome solutions. So I want to encourage you. The Bible is really, really good. You should read it sometime. Okay. Um, anyone remember the eclipse? Yeah? Okay. I think God was speaking through the eclipse. Some of you are laughing. Some of you are like, I knew he Rob went to Uganda. Where is he? He did, he did. He did. He did. Give me one, please. Please don't be heretical. I, I was offended. I got my little heart hurt. I went, Rob. <laughs> Heresy's in the eyes of the beholder anyway, so you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> ha.
0: Um that's not to scare you, but I am gonna challenge you. If you do need a Bible, the ushers will will get you a Bible. Um you're you're gonna wanna get a pen too. I'm serious. Some of you are gonna I'm gonna expose you to some verses that you're gonna go like, What? That's in the Bible? Um yeah. And you're gonna, you're gonna come away going like, "Wow, me and God gotta talk." Okay, um, I figure it's safe because this church is called God Speak. Yeah, okay, it's not God spoke, right? <laughs> God Speak. Yeah. So Lord, please speak. That that, that was my prayer. Um, the eclipse. Was it a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. We're still here. September 23rd is supposed to be the rapture, the end of the beginning, or the beginning of the end. I don't know. That came and went. I do think there was something rather unique and really intriguing about the eclipse. Okay? The great American solar eclipse, August 21st. And I got prophet guy friends who are prophets of encouragement, and I got prophet subdoom doom friends who are doom and gloom guys. We don't talk as much as the other guys, but <laughs> I know this zoo, this great wide church of ours. But it was so funny that they had such dueling interpretations of what's going on. So me and Jesus, we're, we're buddies. We we talk and I listen and he talks back. And I think that's normal Christianity. I don't think that's extraordinary. I think that's normal Christianity. But I ask God, I was like, is this thing good or bad? And you know what he said? He said, it depends. That's not really that helpful. Because I was like, what do you mean it depends? And it's like, I'm not, I don't just go on, oh, I'm a feely little Christian guy. I'm, I'm a serious Bible guy. So I'm trying to like, Lord, what do you mean it depends? And anchor that for me. And the one thing I do know as a student of the Scriptures is God isn't a fatalist. And I don't think we're supposed to be either. But I do think a fair amount of the church hides behind that rock. We do kind of just assume that the will of God shall be done. And I'm going, I don't think so. I mean, that doesn't happen when I sin. When I sin, that's not the will of God. Am I the only one? I, I sin. Anyone? My experience is it is best to be honest with God because then growth and change is possible. So I recognize, wait a minute, you didn't want me to do that. I did do that. I'm sorry. That's not your will. So it depends. So I did a whole bunch of reading up on the eclipse. And it's all over the place, and I don't know how to fact check everything. But I did come across two rather interesting elements I want to share with you that I think are relevant for today. The only other time that an eclipse like this has occurred in history, just like this, where the path of totality goes over one nation and one nation only, strangely enough, was reported to have happened in 1776. Okay, as the Founder's Bible general editor, that got my attention. I went, wait a minute here. Whoa, kind of significant. Interesting. It's on the internet, so it's true, of course, right? (laughs) I don't know if it is or not, because I wasn't there. But I kind of went, that's really curious. If nothing else it got my attention to go like, wow, we're in a similar significant moment in our country and we're struggling, are we not? You got everybody and their brother and sister trying to rewrite history and say, that's the correct version. And I kind of like, I don't know. Um, I spent eight months, 20 hours a day Working with original source documents with a guy named David Barton, where you're talking handwritten letters to author this thing. And I was already a good expert in American church history with a master's degree, 16 units of American church history, and the bulk of what I discovered I'd never heard before. And I was so amped and jazzed about it, it's like, oh, we got to tell everybody. So we put it all in here. Honestly, this is probably one of the finest compilations of our inspiring history of the founding of America and the very verses of the Bible that inspired those guys. It wasn't a product of the Enlightenment. It is so amazing how God was so infused. Now, history ought not to be sanitized, or you don't learn the lessons of it. We have a messy past. It's not cool. It's kind of really contradictory that a bunch of guys fighting for their freedom could, at the very time, own such things called slaves. You're kind of like, excuse me? The really cool thing is there were people at the foundation who were raising their hands saying, sorry, this is not okay. God is not anywhere in in line with this. No, you can't use that as justification. And they contended I'm gonna tell you something at the end of this that's gonna blow your mind. I mean, I'm I, I can't wait, but I, I have other things to tell you. So you're gonna to have to wait, but I'm teasing you. So it's like is is this eclipse good or bad? Prophets of doom, prophets of encouragement, said a lot of stuff, and I'm like, I don't know. But I am curious about this connection to the founding of America and whether it happened before or not. It's amazing that this particular eclipse only came over our nation and our nation only. Another interesting fact is it's going to happen again in seven years. Okay, yeah, I went, whoa. And it's going to pass over one city twice. Twice. Carbondale, Illinois. I don't know what makes them so special. They're known as Little Egypt. That's interesting. I don't know why. But I thought of, I thought of Joseph, and I thought seven years had some stuff going on, in Egypt, seven years of fruitfulness, followed by seven years of difficulty, Then the other seven you got in the Bible is Great Tribulation. I'm going like, I hope it's not that. We'll pass on that. But that's why I was going like, Lord, is this good or bad? And when you think of the the actors in the drama of an eclipse, you got three primary players you got the sun, the moon, and the earth. Okay? Sun, I would say that's God, the light. Okay? The moon, kind of like us, the reflected glory. We don't have our own light, but we show a reflected glory. And the earth is much like the world. And you go like, okay, so is this good or bad? Well, in this particular instance, the moon is getting completely in the way of the sun, and it goes dark on earth. Is that good? Any, you know, any Christians like that? They're kind of so focused on what they and their need to be significant, that they kind of like, you know, puffer fish and... Blocks out light from anybody else, and you just go like, "Yeah." And so I was wondering, like, is this actually good or is this bad? And I I didn't know. And God says, "It depends." And you are like, "It depends." Let me give you a, a verse that is going to ex- be extraordinary. Second Peter three, verses eleven and twelve it says, "Since all these things are going to be destroyed in this way." What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? In verse twelve, here, here's the thing again: looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. What? Looking for and hastening? You mean it's not a, a day on the calendar up in heaven? It's not fixed. It can be changed. It can be adjusted. Is Are you serious? Well, yeah, when the disciples said, hey, when are you coming back? What's, how do I know? Jesus' response, no man knows the day or the hour except the Father in heaven. That was before the cross. Is he lying? Did he really know? He just wasn't going to tell us because that would have been a sin that would have made the cross problem. Following? No, he didn't know because God's not a fatalist because God works in the fullness of time. He sent his son, not on a prescribed date, but in the fullness of time when everything was ready. And I think he's coming back in the fullness of time when everything's ready. The reason on September 23rd, I didn't freak out going like, what's well, going to be the rapture? I'm going like, no, 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 no way. Jesus is not coming back because the, he's going to come back for a bride who's made herself ready. And I do travel a bunch and I know a whole bunch of the church and it's not dressed. It's not ready. Okay. It, she, she really isn't in no shape for him to return. So I kind of really took a pass on that one. Going like, no, no, extreme makeover is not happening that quick. Okay. As soon as the church falls in love with the Savior in such a way that she recognizes just how head over heels in love he is with her, then you'll get me to get excited. Then I think we're getting close. But until that's the central identity of all of us, we're not really tracking with the big scheme of what's going on. Does that make sense? You bear witness of that? Any hanky's like, yeah, amen, good God, pastor. Okay. (laughs) But I think it's amazing that what you and I do matters. Well, can you prove that? Yeah, I can. Exodus 32, write this down. I will tell you the story, because I like telling stories. It's about Moses and God. How do you know the little story of they did the golden calf thing? Not such a good idea, Right. God actually got so angry. Wroth. How do you know that God can get angry? Yeah? Yeah? All the Baptist, yes. (laughs) Everyone else, I don't know. I think he likes us. Yeah, God can get angry. He got so angry, he kind of went to Moses and said, you know what? I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to start over with you, make you into a great nation. I bet if I was there, I was have mm, that's an awesome idea. You are so right. I was waiting for you to figure that one out. <laughs> I kind of go like, how in the world did Moses go like, no. I mean, this is God. Moses, no. And in the passage, it actually says in Hebrew where it says Moses entreated God, literally it climbs up in the lap and he smooths out the wrinkles in the face of Jehovah. I really wish they would have wrote it that way because I I don't understand entreated quite with that same pictorial reference. Moses somehow climbed up in the lap of God who a mad face? And Moses says, no, 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 no. And God changed his mind. What? A couple of theologians just flipped out right there, like, wait. I'm Lord, I change not. But he can change his mind. Five or six other verses if you want to chase that down. Get a concordance. You really should have one. Go chase it out. And it's amazing. Human beings, in conversation with the living God, get God to actually change his mind and course of action. That's extraordinary. Welcome to your privilege and opportunity you can talk things over with God, and He so dignifies you and I in a place of prayer and communication that He's invited us to play a part in all this because what you and I do absolutely matters. And so all these dudes that kind of say, no, 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 this is like a rerun. I go like, no, not even close. We need to engage. There's a lot of work. That needs to be done, and I just wonder who's showing up and who's going to do it. I'm going to leave you with one other mind-bender. Genesis 6, flood, Noah, kind of a big deal on earth, yeah? It, it's in your Bible. Look at it for yourself. I'm not lying. Verses 5 and 6, it says that when God looked down upon the earth... And he saw that the heart of man was set only on evil continually. It says that he was sorry that he ever made man. Some versions say that he repented of having made man. I do not know how to parse that out other than to take it at face value and go like, wow, I mean, didn't he know? Let's get philosophical for a second. Didn't God know? Well, I think he knew the possibility of because he prepared for the fix before the foundation of the world. He made sure that there was an exit strategy if we blew it. And wow, did we blow it? But God didn't make a mistake. but he regretted having made man in light of what man did with what he was entrusted. That's, that's heavy. Bad day on planet earth. I don't think the current conditions are quite as bad as that. Another reason I don't think we're at the end, because at the end, it's going to say as it was in the days of Noah. Noah, so it shall be an end. So it's, yeah, we we got some troubles ahead, which is going to make this other interesting element of the eclipse, the takeaway that I thought is just, hey, regardless of whether it's good or bad, and it depends, there was a promise that I think God set out so extraordinary. I cannot not tell you about it. So in all the research that I did, you know, and trying to sift through what's valuable, what's not, precious, worthless, whatever. In the path of totality, it is rather extraordinary that there are seven states with seven cities directly in the line of totality that are named Salem. It's the word peace. There's seven, the number of perfect, perfection, completion, Wow, perfect peace. Bible verse jumped off the page, wrapped me on the forehead. Isaiah 26.3. You are able to keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast, stayed on you. Why? Because they trust in you. If nothing else, I end up going like, wow. Let the mathematicians amaze us. What are the chances of a path of, of eclipse passing over in such an alignment that it hits all seven states that have sevens? I'm going like, really, we have seven Salems? I only thought we had two. It's like, couldn't they come up with more creative things? Nope. I, I, I just went, wow, that's extraordinary. And so is the... Pr- in Isaiah 26, because the context of Isaiah 26 is it was all going wrong. Politically, everything's in chaos. It's an absolute mess. And it looks like right is now wrong and justice is nowhere to be seen. They've been carted off and they're they're just, they're going like, what the heck? And the promise is to those people, that God is able to keep them in perfect peace amidst rotten conditions of everything going wrong whose minds are stayed upon Him because they trust in Him. And I go like, that's amazing. Is God worthy of our trust? Yes, absolutely. We would make wonderful theological confessions to that. Do you personally Trust him. Yes, Pastor. Except when he asks me to do things that are challenging. Then I struggle. I mean, do I have got a witness? I mean, did you, does anyone find trusting easy? No. And when someone says, trust me, usually two things are true I don't, which is why they're telling me to. And two, I'm not really sure about them and why they're asking me that, which makes trusting them even harder. Do I have a witness? I mean, I sort of think trust is not really something I can just, yes, I do. Because it's sort of like, be 10 feet tall. I would if I could. But I can't. I think trust is a fruit more than a choice. And I think it really works when I'm connected with someone that I know, I am confident that they are for me, they love me, and they have unequivocally demonstrated that to my restful satisfaction. I have no difficulty trusting them. If you're not such a person, I do. I don't think the Bible commands me to trust people. Jesus did not trust and trust himself to men because he knew it was in their heart. I go, well, if he didn't, I work in Hollywood, okay? Ain't doing that. And it's like, okay, wow, trust is kind of hard. Faith is kind of hard. It's impossible to please God without faith. I think we have an amazing promise that God has scratched over the face of our nation. I think he's calling us back to our foundations. I think he is letting us know, yeah, there are troubled times. Anything recognize what happened after the eclipse? Like the next 50 days, was it full of turmoil or anything? It's still happening? we got nuclear war, uh, possibility with Korea on the brink, hair trigger away. The media would say two crazy guys. Okay, we we got once in every thousand year epic rain events, dumping fifty inches in a day. You're kind of like, hello, where are the animals? Two by two, we got hurricanes lining up like planes trying to land at LAX, with Florida looking like it's a bowling alley. And I don't mean to make light of it, but you just going like, isn't this like over the top? The worst mass shooting in U.S. history. Still trying to figure that one out, scratch our heads. It's like, what? Things are coming unglued. Just this morning, 189 people were blown up in Somali. And you're just going like, oh my gosh. Just last week, somebody got upset in Dos Vientos and went, F your God on one of the. And I'm sitting there like, wow, that's a bit like extreme. I didn't know that we were known as this hotbed of I love Jesus so much that it would warrant that. I sort of took it as a cool, you know. (laughs) At least we got someone's attention. (laughs) I mean, I'm weird, but I kind of went, all right, game on. You know And so I think it's it anyone felt their peace just a little challenged? So how do we lay into this promise? How do I walk this out because I'm not good at faking it, okay? I don't think God's ever asked anybody to you know fake it till you feel it. It's like no. How about win me to a place of understanding? You know, I believe, help my unbelief, is a totally valid conversation to have with God. Can I tell you, a, 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 I'm going to tell you a fun little story. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to retell this because it's, it's a fun little story. You ever heard about the guy who bought a horse? Anyone? So there's this guy. He totally <laughs> loves horses. I mean, like, super loves horses. He's got enough money, he wants to buy one. And you just heard out in Pennsylvania, they know something about raising horses, and they raise extraordinary horses. Actually, I had two people from the morning service that come from there going, like, you were right. I mean, so they know. This is, this, is, this is a good story. They raise good horses there, okay? So this guy goes out, sees one, and goes, oh, i got to have that horse. I mean, this is a majestic steed. I mean, this is like, whoa, okay? So they're, they're loading it into the trailer, and the, the, the farmer guy says, okay, we do things a little differently around here and our command structure is just it's a little different but it's, it's 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 the way we've trained our horses so what you need to know is when you want him to go you you say praise the lord now the guy is a presbyterian he's just feeling a little uncomfortable with that but he came, but he came to calvary chapel once and says well i You know, it's not my tradition, but I I could do this. I could say, praise the Lord. You want to try it? Everybody. Oh, you just might be able to ride a horse. This is good. Okay? And so if you want the horse to go faster, you just say, praise the Lord. And it'll kick up the gate. And he goes, like, okay, that sounds easy enough. So he's excited about his purchase. They get the horse in there, and they're they're driving back to, you know, where he lives. And all of a sudden, he sees this gorgeous meadow. I mean, it's just, it is this extraordinary meadow. You ever been excited about a purchase you made? Like, oh, can't wait. He goes, oh, we got to pull over. I got to take the horse out for a spin. So they pull over. They get the horse out. They saddle it up. He gets on. There's a little pathway through the woods to get to this open meadow. And so, and he's feeling kind of stupid sitting on a horse, but he goes, praise the Lord. And the horse goes into a nice little trot. But trotting isn't all that fun. Because you're bouncing up and stuff like that. But he's trying to see if he's comfortable yet, and so he goes, praise the Lord. And then goes into a little more fluid canter. So he's learning to kind of go. And then he's nearly where it starts to open up. And he just goes, Oh, oh praise the Lord. And a horse is off into a full gallop. And they're, they're like riding like the wind. And this is like hair, you know, wind in the hairs. He's Fabio up on there. You know and it's just total I mean this is like the sun setting I mean this is epic okay he's having the time of his life going like oh yes and then instantly he realizes something you've heard the story you know he, he, he doesn't know how to make the horse stop and at the end of the meadow is this cliff that drops a couple hundred feet and he's racing like the wind and all of a sudden he's getting anxious going like oh no And so he's going like, whoa, and that's not working. And then stop, horsey, and that's not working. And he's just, I mean, he doesn't know what to do. They're getting closer and closer, and uh, he finally just, amen! (laughs) And a horse puts all fours down, like I'm sliding to a stop, right about eight inches from the edge. And he goes, oh, praise the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) so why tell that story one I think it's funny I knew I'd get a laugh but two I think it's illustrative of the fact that words and the meaning matter but unfortunately a lot of us are kind of like the guy on the horse our mastery and our command of these words we think we know is not really the best, and we struggle. So let me kind of shed some light on on three little words, faith, grace, and trust. They're kind of cliché words in Christendom. You know, we would kind of think, well, of course I know what that is, so let me ask, faith is what? Most of us are trying to quote Hebrews 11.1. 1. <laughs> right? <laughs> Good for you. Star on your chart. This is awesome. Proud of you. Okay? Faith is the assurance... Of things hoped for, the conviction or evidence of things unseen. Clear as mud? I mean, I don't want to deride the scripture, but do you find that definition helpful? All right, ready? Everybody, let's have faith. Ready? I mean, what are you going to do? It's impossible to please God without faith. So... It's all please God, right? We came to church. Ready? (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) We really don't have command of a functional understanding. Anyone find faith easy? Who here feels like they? I've got the gift of faith. Anyone? Yeah, man. Two services, no hands. Hey, Rob, I mean, what's with that? You're all nice people. You're good Christians. You're trying hard. You're showing up. You're, you're, right? But faith is a weird one for us, huh? On your own, go to Hebrews 11 and look through it. Read through the whole chapter. It's the hall of faith, okay? But it's really bizarre because it talks about a bunch of guys who, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, and it lists what they did. One of the things is they obtained promises. And then it goes through another list of people where they get sawn in two, they get mocked, they get, I mean, a whole like opposite list that never shows up in the charismatic faith services and never makes it to the refrigerator. And you're just kind of going like, they left that out by faith. Some obtain their promises and others by faith did not. Whoa, that messes up with a lot of formulas. Name it and claim it, and it didn't show up. By faith. I mean, you, you, it's not wrong. You could do that. But what's the difference between faith and presumption? Is faith, you know, I'm going to show God, I really want it. Ready? I'm going to pray for someone. I'm going to you know, squeeze out a healing. Ugh! Or like James, it's like, hey, if you want to know something about faith, you have to, there's a couple conditions here. You have to come to God knowing two things. That he is, and he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. But don't doubt, because if you do that, the double-minded man, he'll not receive anything. And so you go like, okay, I can't, I'm trying to make that work through Hebrews 11. And I, Anyone find that confusing, challenging? Am I the only knucklehead? See, I don't think, I don't think it's that hard at all. Romans ten seventeen. Write this down. Check it out for yourselves. Faith doesn't happen because you heard the preacher. It says faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. That word, word, this particular word called rhema, which is the present tense voice of the Holy Spirit. God speak, not God spoke. So if I hear the present tense voice of the Holy Spirit, faith comes right then and there. I don't think it's a muscle I build up. I don't think it's a, I'm really serious, God. God. I think it comes as a response to hearing his voice. I don't think God's looking for heroes and mighty men. I think he's looking for available listeners who will have a dialogue with him. I mean, I don't know about you, but I have tried the Christian life and found it not just hard, impossible. To have a witness? Yeah, brother. I mean, the do-better, try-harder gospel just is tiresome. I can't. I tried. I meant it. I stumbled. I'm tired of that. And I think God totally knows, and I think God says, exactly. Now, if you let me do it in you... I'd like to, for is it is that God who is at work in you both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. That one should go on the refrigerator. That's extraordinary. God at work in you. to Doing what? Just to sit there. No. Both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. Here's another promise. Pharisees are arguing with Jesus. He says, well... Just for the sake of this argument, John the Baptist, did God send him or what? They're looking at Jesus like, I don't like your t- questions. And we're not going to answer. Exactly. And what he says is extraordinary, John seven seventeen. He says, if any man is willing to do his will he will know whether the teaching is from God or not. If any man is willing to do, he shall know. Man, the will of God is so difficult. No, it's not. It's a question of prior intent. In Hebrew, the word to hear and to obey are the same word. That's a bit extraordinary. I mean, just dwell on that for a moment. Johnny, take out the trash. I got to get this. I got to win. I'm busy, Mom. Did Johnny hear? Johnny's not sure. If you don't settle the issue before and show up with the sense of, hey, you're God. I'm not. You're for me, not against me. I I know who you are. If you ask me to do something, yes, sir. Jump how high? I have committed myself beforehand that I desire to obey and do. When God sees that, He's more than happy to speak because He knows you will respond. He's not asking you to do something you can't do. He's asking you to be available. For him to do something in and through you, with you. You're on the horse. He's the powerful, majestic steed. But we need to have some communication and understanding about how this thing works together, and it can be glorious and epic. And God wants all of that for us. He's not looking for you to be strained and stressed out. And I mean, does anyone worry? anyone okay there's five of us the rest of you will help us out but does anyone worry yeah I think we all worry did anyone have to teach you how to worry did you seem to come programmed with that what is worry never thought about that what are you doing when you're worrying you're afraid of something, right? You're not sure what's going to happen, but you're afraid of, you're worried about what might happen. And so you're working really hard to try to make sure that it doesn't happen, right? So you're, you're with all of your smarts, all your experience, all of everything you got, you are trying to figure this out, Right? Are you are you doing it in light of the thought that God promised to be with you all times, never to forsake you? Are you thinking through your strategy with God who's at work in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure? The one who can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all you could ask or think? Are you, are you thinking it through with that as an available resource with you as you look at your problem? No. Because if I was aware of that, I wouldn't be worrying, right? Well, that's the problem. We're not aware of that. We are aware of the verses, sure. But it's kind of like sitting on the horse and going like, how do you make it stop? you 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 really haven't got a mastery of what this life is and how I'm supposed to partner with him in it. I don't really see just how amazing it could be. I mean, I can actually change his mind and come up with a better suggestion. I don't know. I mean, James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all. And guess what? Without reproach, which means there are no stupid questions. What's stupid is you're not asking. That's what you get an approach for. But asking, no. Unsure of what to do? Not a problem. Because he's a stingy, miserly God. No. Because he really wants you to to work for it. No. We made it hard so only a few would get in. No. I mean, really, who is he? Because if you knew who he was, trusting him is a breeze. If you only have heard about him, but you don't know him for yourself... It's really hard. You know, the wind and the waves are happening all the time. Remember the whole story where Peter is, you know, in the boat and they're rowing, and Jesus said, You know, hey guys, I'll see you over there. I'm going to go up and I'm going to be with my dad and we're going to pray. And nobody said, Well, how are you getting there? Okay. You know, nobody did. They just, Okay, okay. Make sure you get the fishes and the loaves. That was amazing, huh? Yeah, okay. Six fishes and loaves in the boat, and then we're rowing, and it's like, oh, my gosh, big storm. And not a little storm These are professional, you know, fishermen. Big storm, they're freaked out. They're fearing for their life. Where we got to go? Well, there. i been on the Sea of Galilee. It is, you can see from one side to the other. It's not that, you're going, really? Wow. <laughs> this is smaller than I thought. It's extraordinary, but it's like, wow, big, huge hurricane happening right on the Sea of Galilee, and they're fearing for their life. And then there's Jesus walking by. (laughs) He isn't walking to the boat. He's just walking, intending to pass them. Like, I can beat you. (laughs) He wasn't going to stop. Peter goes, hey. And I, just, I, I personally really love Peter. I mean, I really do. If that's you, bid me to come to you. That must have been some storm because he's wanting to get out of the boat. Okay? That means it might be better out there than it was in there. Jesus stops us. Hey, Sure. Come on, Pete. (laughs) And he does. He, He and you're just going like, whoa. Where'd he get the faith? He heard. It came right with the word come. Peter was able to do something a few moments before he could not do. And so long as he had his eyes fixed on Jesus, he did fine surf's up, water's warm, it's cool. The other guys are commentating, well, did you see how he took that last step? I mean, I so appreciate Peter walking, even sinking, than all the guys that didn't try, didn't ask. And so I I, I never like to rip on people who are going for it. At least they're trying, and I, I think God's excited about that, but When you look at all that, the minute he looked at the conditions, all of a sudden his faith left him because he was hearing something else and he was doubling down on something different. The word doubt comes from the same root where we get the word double. It means the presence of a second opinion. You know, taking your SATs, go with your first answer. That's the one God whispered. The second one that you thought about, not so good. But some really smart dudes decided to look at worry. And this would just be interesting for you. This was a leading American university. Now, I don't know what that means currently. So this was from a few years ago when it might have meant something cool. They did a study on worry. Not sure how they did this, so I'm just going to give you the results. Can't speak for the whole study and everything else, but I thought this was funny and humorous and and true. They categorized everything that people worried about, and they classified it into five different categories. Out of 100% of what worry is and what people do when they worry, 40% of what people worry about never happens. 40%. Right out the gate. You are off in a field that's never going to happen, but you're worrying about it. Thank you. 30% concerns the past, which you can do a whole lot about, right? I mean, just those two. 70% of what I'm working hard to do is worthless. But I'm going to do it, gum it! 12% are needless worries about health. What, what might be? What, 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 I don't know. I, I could have a tumor. I, I don't know. What, uh, you got feelings and fears, but not facts. But you're worried about it. 10% are about petty issues. I was surprised it was only 10 because I was like, that's where all the drama comes from. I think that number's larger, so I don't think the survey's correct. <laughs> and I worry about that. <laughs> the cool thing is, 8%, they decided to legitimize, and say 8% of what you worry about is legitimate concerns. So, 92% is worthless and a total waste of your time, but that 8% that you're going for, you keep doing it, baby. That's legitimate. (laughs) Anyone want to worry? (laughs) It seems productive. Now, does God know that you and I are going to worry? See, when we do, we're thinking of a future where He's not with us, and we're trying to do all the work by ourselves because we know we're by ourselves, and He's just left us there, and He doesn't care, and So I got to worry. And 8% of the time it's going to be legitimate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so God knows you're going to worry, so he gives you a target for it. This is really cool. Be anxious for nothing. Okay? So for the 8% that's worthy of doing it. You get a bullseye. You paint the center, call that nothing, okay? And you worry all you want about it. Focus your worry on nothing, okay? You're going to do it, so at least get it out of your system and focus it on nothing. And then for everything else, he says, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. Talk to him about what you're bothered about. Let's go after the 8% in dialogue about, hey, you know, this legitimately concerns me. What are you going to do? What do I need to do? Are you on the job? I mean, are you awake? Because I'm up trying to do your job. I'd like to sleep. Can we at least tag team this thing? <laughs> serious if we would only talk to him. Prayer is like a really cool thing you do not have to do, you get to. And with all that you do, talk to him, he'll talk back. Listening is a really cool thing to do after you've talked talk 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 talk. talk, talk wait and go like, is there something I can do about this? Partnering with you, oh majestic steed, I want to ride. Yes. And then those things are effective. And the few things he tells you to do, he'll give you the faith to do them. It won't be hard. It'll be wisdom because he gives that generously without reproach. And then we do this thing called the Christian life, which is extraordinary. Okay? You you tracking? You liking this? The word grace. I got to do this fast, I think. Grace. You heard that word? What's it mean? Unmerited favor. Everyone says, yeah, we think that's the best definition. Survey says, oh, we don't have that. Okay. The unmerited favor of God. Let me challenge this for a sec. I won't take a lot of time, but if that's true, then how come it's only given to the humble? God opposes opposes the proud, but gives his grace to the humble. Is that unmerited? Seems to be conditioned for a certain group of people. Doesn't seem to fit. If it's the unmerited favor of God, how, can, how, how come you can fall from it? I didn't jump to it, so how do I fall from it? If it's the unmerited favor of God, when we think of Jesus, the sinless Son of God, says he grew in wisdom and stature favor with God and with men, and he grew in grace. How do you grow in it? Of the Apostle Paul, when he's doing extraordinary miracles in the book of Acts, it says great grace was upon him. And then our favorite, where sin abounds, the unmerited favor much more abounds, because I guess we just have to say it's okay. Right? Is that that a good workable? Doesn't that confuse you? We've all been told it's the unmerited favor of God. I wonder who started that. I wish they hadn't, because I don't think it's accurate. I too grew up, and that's what I thought. So someone did this very thing and challenged me. Like, no, 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 I don't think that's it at all. That sounds an awful lot like mercy. And there's a cool verse, this should go in your refrigerator. I've given you a four or five already. (laughs) Hebrews 4.16, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of all grace that we might receive two things, mercy, which is kind of what I need because I messed up. Mercy is what I get when I don't want what I deserve. That's unmerited. I don't want what I merited. But then receive mercy, awesome, and grace to help in your time of need. I think the best definition of grace I've ever heard is the empowering presence of God to be and do all that you've been called to be and do. It is the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. It's what God does in me that enabled me both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. It is his power, his ability, that I'm a recipient of. I need to receive it. Where sin abounds, the ability to stop doing that much more abounds. That makes so much more sense of a verse that otherwise going like God's the great excuser of sin. I don't think so. He's the cleanser, redeemer, forgiver, and healer of sin. But nowhere do I see him excusing anything. That is not cheap and could never be cheap. So we're talking about something that I just think is foreign to the Bible but it's kind of goofy words we've imbibed that we really haven't challenged and thought through. And and the only way to do that is for you to dig into the word of God for yourself and understand it. It's not enough to sit here and wait for cool sermons. You really don't grow. You don't change and you don't get edified and you really need that. What's so amazing about that eclipse that happened is if you look at it through the lens of Isaiah 26.3, the moon had its full gaze set on the sun for the entire time and worked in perfect harmony such that the entire world wanted to gather and go, oh, wow. And they were stunned. And I wonder, could the church actually function in such a capacity, that that's the longing I want to have, that kind of relationship. Remember the golden calf thing? Anyone ever wonder why they made a calf? I did. You want to know why? No? Good idea. Come on November 5th. Moses had left. He was gone for how long? 40 days. days. Rob's gone to Uganda for like five. What if he never comes back? You'd be wondering what to do, and you'd be going like, well, 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 what should we do? No. (laughs) And here's why, no. They figured, they had already had the invitation from God to come to him direct, and to speak to him direct. And they we were so freaked out by that, they ran away and said, no, 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 we have this really cool idea. Moses, you talk to him, and then we'll do everything you tell us. Which they never really did, but that's what they said. That's where the idea of a pastor came from. Wasn't God's intent, wasn't his design, it's what he acquiesced to because the people didn't want a direct person-to-person relationship that he did. Bummer. Ever since. Veil's been ripped in two. It was 18 inches thick. That's a big rip. He's saying, let's talk. Just waiting for you to respond. It's his longing and desire. But when Moses was gone, they feared the worst, and so they did the best they knew. There's a God in Egypt that is a bull God that isn't the God above all gods. He is the mediator. He is the one that you go through to get to God. And so without ripping them, and and, and yes, it was really bad, the reality is is they thought they were doing something okay, and they got an intermediary, because that's what Moses had been for them. Did they think they were, let's be idolaters, yes, that's what we're going to do. No, I don't think they were. I think they were going, I don't want to do the direct thing, but who can who else can be here? So they got the bull god. And I go like, "Wow. We do that all the time. It is so much easier to go to someone with skin on than talk to the god that doesn't have it. Right? I tend to have more confidence in the one with skin who give me the answer as opposed to have the conversation and wait for the revelation where faith comes and then the life happens. I'd prefer to get a drink from someone else's cup. I, I don't. I wouldn't suggest it. I don't think there's a lot of life in it. It's got backwash, too. Everybody's got backwash. That's when Rob says, don't be heretical. Well, dude, that's backwash. Get your own revelation, okay? So I'm going to close with this, right? I have no idea. If, we, we doing okay? Yeah? We doing okay? All right, we got it. I'll be fast because my daughter's waiting for me. In God, we trust. You ever heard that phrase? Wonder where it came from? Where Where have you heard that phrase? It's our motto. What else is it? It's on your money? Anyone thought that was funny? I mean, did the pastor put it there? When you look at your money, is that what you're doing? <laughs> I mean I did, I I think that's sort of a right like whoever did that, they thought, oh, this is funny. Okay? It's kinda of like, wow, that really is a good idea. Great idea to put it there. If I only had more of that, maybe I would. <laughs> Isn't that bad? I go like, wow. Now, anyone, anyone football people? Do we just have a little argument going on right in our country? Anyone know how to, you supposed to kneel, stand? What I mean, What are we supposed to do? Is everyone that's kneeling, are they totally off base and it's just terrible and wrong and, you know, God brought the America. I mean, it's just, it, can, can we just write them off as if, you know, if they only knew, what if they have legitimate concerns? What, what if there's something real in the midst of all that? What if you know what you and I live in white bread world? We do not have to deal with what other people do. My son right now is not in white bread world, and he's getting reverse racism. Not fun, and he's scared little white boy. And you just go like, it's not so bad. You should. It's time to learn some. Get some context. So I don't want to belittle anybody on any side of the equation, but if you understood what I'm about to tell you, you'd be set free from all this goofiness. Would you like to know? Yes. When was In God We put in Trust put on our money? Anyone? Guess? Eisenhower, 50s. Some of us are old enough to go like, yeah, I think they did something then. The rest of us are like, I haven't a clue. Okay. Th- yes, it was placed officially on our currency and that kind of stuff. It was made our national motto. They took the national anthem, Star Spangled Banner. Do you know where the reference to our motto comes from? It comes from the Star Spangled Banner. Not third verse, fourth verse. The people that have a problem with the Star Spangled Banner that say it's a, it's a bigoted racist anthem for white supremacists, look at the third verse and they go, see, right there. Most of you only know the first verse. That's all you sing. So you're like, it has three verses? Yeah. And and, and there's a phrase there that, that is is one that we, it'd be worthy of struggling with because it does end up, having a phrase where you're looking at what's going on. Francis Scott Key penned this in 1812. In the War of 1812, Baltimore Harbor's being shelled beyond belief. There is no possible way that the fort's going to stand. Someone corrected me in this morning that Francis Scott Key was actually taken captive. He wasn't bunkered down. He was taken captive. He's on this ship that's shelling everything, and he's being held captive, He didn't want to be there, and he's thinking everybody's being destroyed. And in the morning, in the early dawn light, he looks up, and amazingly, miraculously, the flag's still there. He's a lawyer, an an author, and a would-be poet, so he does what most people would do. I've got to write a poem. I mean, wouldn't you? Every time I see a flag, I just go, another stanza, Please. So he writes a poem, four stanzas. He had something to say. He'd been thinking about it all night. And it was extraordinary. And it's amazing. But the third verse, he's kind of a little ticked. And he's looking at the people that are holding him ca- captive. And he knows what's going on. The British have told and hired people to fight against America. We already went through the Revolutionary War and we won. What are you back for now? And they hire mercenaries to come kill us. Would you like those people? I wouldn't. And then they do something crazy. They also conscript other seamen from different ships and force them and enslave them to be part of the British soldiers fighting against them. And that's probably what's going to happen to him. And what would you think of a guy that actually succumbed to that? Now he's fighting against you. Well, it's under threat of death, so I give him a little mercy, but that could be what I was referring to. And the British also said to the slaves, hey, you come fight for us against your masters, we'll give you your freedom. So I personally couldn't fault someone for doing that, because it is rather contradictory to hear we're fighting for our freedom while we still would enslave another human being. That seems grossly wrong. So I'm not going to whitewash anything. Sanitized history is worthless because you don't learn any lessons from it. So we've got to look at it for what it really is, and it's, it's messy. And so I go like, wow, I I do know that what he's talking about is real, and so people can get their knickers in a knot about that and go, see that proof? It's it's a white supremacist nation. I'm going like, I don't think it is because in verse four, it has this absolutely wonderful set of verses. It says, blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land praise the power that hath made and preserved us as a nation. Then conquer we must when our cause it is just, and this is our motto, and God is our trust. So the first reference of us having a motto is what was inculcated in the entire American society. They knew That the only reason we lived and won the Revolutionary War was because the miraculous hand of God preserved and rescued this nation from impossible odds. Everybody knew this. And everybody knew it's because we put our trust in God. Does that give us carte blanche to have slaves? Not even. And there were founders at the beginning that that called that into account. Said, Guys, God is just. There's no way He's turning a blind eye to this. This is evil, reprehensible, awful, Terrible. And so I think there's people that have a legitimate grievance that go like, yeah, we still haven't addressed all of the issues here. But the in God we trust going on our money was decided around the Civil War. Some little pastor guy in Pennsylvania, perhaps he owned owned the horse. I don't know. (laughs) But he writes the Secretary of the Treasury Anyone do that regularly? Do you even know who the Secretary of Treasury is? Nope. He writes the Secretary of Treasury, really weird. Pastor Guy writes him, and he's all concerned because the nation clearly is at the brink where it's about to be torn asunder. And his primary concern is for posterity and future generations, we need to do something in case that happens and we're forever divided, they need to know that this was indeed a Christian nation. They need to know that we honor and serve and worship God in spite of this. They were defending nothing, and I know that because of who he's writing to. He's writing to Salmon P. Chase, who in that day and time, was the most outspoken abolitionist of the day, the most radical. He was the attorney general for the fugitive slaves. He lived his entire life to destroy slavery. He was the front runner in 1860 for the presidential election. Lincoln, who gets credited for all of this, was the fourth guy Dark horse, the most moderate of them all, and the most kind of wimpy on slavery at the time, but he had decided to go with the Republican Party at the time because they were at least against this and he knew this was evil. But in the brokered convention of 1860, Salmon P. Chase did not get enough delegates to win the election. He got forty-nine percent at one point. After three different tries, he finally decides to give all of his delegates to Abraham Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln gets to be a president. I don't know why he did that, but he did do that. And then he had the humility, having lost, to serve in the cabinet alongside Lincoln and was the advocate the entire time pushing Lincoln, yes, we've got to stop slavery. Yes, we've... that was how committed he was to it. He gave his entire life to it. And so this little pastor guy, that's why he didn't write Lincoln. He wrote Sam and P. Chase. He writes, Sam and P. Chase, and he says, you know, could we put something on our coinage? Something that would declare our dependence in God, that would leave for all time, all history, all generations, that this indeed was birthed and born in response to God. That is our history. Anyone else trying to tell you that it's different is lying, and I can prove it if you pull out your wallet and look at your money. Okay? In 1862, they stamped it on the coins. Act of Congress. They had submitted three different possibilities for the motto. Sam Chase said, none of the, that doesn't work. He was so inspired by the to be national anthem poem, the you know, defense of Fort McHenry, that so clearly described the truth of this nation and its dependence upon God. And God is whom we are going to put our trust. That is where we're being safe. That is where we're preserved. That is what we need to do. You cannot serve two masters, so we'll put it right on our money. Either you serve God or you serve Ma'mmon. And why was the South not willing to let go of slavery? Because it was too economically dependent upon it for their entire life, and they couldn't figure out how to make life work without it. Not legitimate reason. Sorry do not pass go, go directly to jail, bad thinking. But it's why they did, so he put it right on the money, not as a neutral statement, but as a missile shot over their bow, because everybody would handle this every day. And everybody knew where it came from. And its precursor is, if our cause be just, then the victory is sure. He was saying by pointing it on the money, slavery's days are over. This is wrong. You need to decide will you serve God or will you serve mammon? Puts it right on the mammon. That's extraordinary. Do you know where we get paper currency? Money. Paper money. As opposed to coins. It was illegal because the the, the literal wording of the law was empowered Congress to be able to do coinage. No No one had invented the idea, all oh, this be paper money. But in order to win the Civil War, we needed bonds, we needed cash. It was Sam and P. Chase who came up with the idea, let's issue bonds. And we will give them United States notes, promises to repay. But we need enough money to fight a war and win so we can conquer the evil that must be destroyed. That's why you have paper money that's extraordinary. All because one guy in his commitment to God and said, evil's not okay, its days are numbered, it must be stopped. And if we knew our history, I think we could find some common ground and help and recognize, hey, yes, it's a mess. There's bad actors every generation. There's things that are wrong, but let's not paint with a broad brush Lincoln knew this one thing. He did not have the privilege of demonizing his enemies because the greater work that would need to be done was in reconstruction. And the sad reality is he was shot for that and his cabinet guys were so offended that reconstruction really didn't seem to happen. They they, they responded with awful retribution that they thought was justified, and whether it was or not, it's like ripping a weed out and grabbing only the head and and leaving the root. And then it sends the root into overdrive, and it comes back even worse, and welcome to where we are, folks. We really haven't got to the core of all this. But I think we can if we'll start talking to God. Is that cool? All right, I'm done.
1: for Jesus, for Pastor Brad. Thank you, Pastor Brad. That was awesome. Very good. Hey, so what we're going to do, we're running a little bit behind, so we're going to just close in a song. If you can stand to your feet, um, we'll give these guys some time to set up and just celebrate. Um, and, and yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close a little bit in prayer right now. Prayer team, if you can come up, um, we'll have prayer up here after service. So if you want to, if you want to unleash uh, some burdens. Uh, we'll be up here to to pray with you after the service, and um, our worship team's gonna. Lord, thank you for through your word giving us uh, insights into faith, grace, and trust. And so, Lord, um, I pray the seed of your word would find good soil, and and that we would look to you as the author of all that. And thank you for Brad, who. Uh, bring that to our attention this morning that we would uh, take that into um, our world as we leave here today. We love you. We praise you and we give you honor and glory. Amen.